So what is the answer? Is it going to go pop? Is it all over? It could be. Good afternoon, welcome to Market Wrap number 104. Many thanks for joining us. As ever, this is our attempt to educate, enlighten, infuriate the average person who's thinking of buying residential property in the UK. Please do like, subscribe if you get a chance, and share. And again, thanks for coming. Stuart Williamson here at the helm. As on the travels, I'm traveling the uh, Far East, um, visiting clients in different cities. As you can hear, there's a bit of building going in the background here, a bit of building noise in the background. So where am I? Hmm, put your answer down below. This week, is the market going to go pop? What does the latest research say? Night Frank is saying, with the nationwide reporting, annual house price growth remaining at a high of 11.2%, they have revised their mainstream summaries of market growth downwards. The price forecasts are going downwards. They expect the supply and demand imbalance to cause house price growth of 7.5%, over the course of 2022, even accounting for a marked slowdown in price growth over the remainder of this year. So it's already up by 4.5%, looks like it'll go up by 3% for the remainder of this year, 7.5% in total. In 2023, they anticipate that the combination of higher interest rates and cost of living squeeze will cause house prices to dip by 1%. And for the rest of their um, forecast period, which is five years as a rule, they say from 2024 to 2026, they expect modest single-digit growth for each of the three years, creating 5% in total. This is assuming that the Bank of England base rate is at 1.75% in 2026. Should the bank relax mortgage affordability stress tests, as it is indicated it might, this would provide modest additional capacity for price growth. However, if interest rates rise, rise higher than currently projected, then capacity of price growth will be quickly eroded and the price falls becomes more likely. So they're the two balancing things. Will mortgage affordability rules be relaxed or will interest rates go up by more than 1.75%? Across the regions, they just say that the North will do better than the South. Um, basically, London is going to hold it back you know, despite a potential short-term uh, boost, the demand is refocusing on bigger urban locations. Uh, Rick surveyors have reported that new buyer inquiries have exceeded new instructions every month since 2019, April, on a three-month rolling basis. Now, this is historically the difference between inquiries and instructions has been an excellent indicator or reasonable indicator of forward house price movements. That would indicate things are continuing to go up because there is a shortage of property that is not being fulfilled by extra product being built. So whilst this gap has narrowed recently, the number of homes available for sale per surveyor has reached its second lowest point since records, point on record since early 2022. So as I said, it's going to take some time for supply and demand to rebalance and for macroeconomic factors to become primary driver of house price, price movements. It's a very dry market wrap this week, but I do apologise, not much fun in it, it's all technical stuff, but it's crucial stuff you need to know and working out what is going to happen to the housing market and why. Data from 20CI gives a further useful measure of low levels of stock in the market, 
In February and March, the number of homes available to buy increased slightly but remained more than a third below 2019 levels. This means macroeconomics will continue not to be that important. But Knight Frank do expect affordability pressures to moderate further price growth substantially over the remainder of this year as buyers become more budget conscious and demand progressive eases. Um, today I noticed that the RBA in Australia has increased rates by 0.5%. You know, it's going to happen. But I think the UK is in a far worse economic situation than Australia. The source of the slowdown is far more likely to be in the UK weaker demand as banks increase mortgage rates and tighten lending terms than a substantial increase in supply. So now we're going to mix this up with the Savills research, um, and this is what Mike Frank did. And so the Savills research is out assume no recession in no recession occurring, and Mike Frank have taken that into uh, account. So while a brief dip in GDP, GDP growth is possible, they don't expect any effect on the housing market to occur or it to be limited at least. The risk of substantial rise in mortgage defaults and repossessions is also very small, as 79% of mortgage debt is owed by homeowners who are insulated from increasing interest rates because they have locked into low fixed rate mortgages for up to five years. The ones who have done less than five years and have locked it in have to do a relatively stringent mortgage accountability stress test. We'll get on to that in a minute. In addition, the labour market also remains very tight and a significant rise in unemployment, which has previously led to large increases in stock coming onto the market, is unlikely. It's different from it was in 2007, 2008, or in the late 90s. If the of the cost of living crisis, as it's currently being called in the media, is going to have more of an effect. A combination of high house price growth, squeeze on household finances, and increased interest rates have substantially eaten into the mortgage affordability cushion that existed before the pandemic. That affordability will be further depleted over the course of 2022. So that cushion that everyone had is starting to be taken away and people are getting back to more than bare tax. Assuming two further base rate increases, the analysis suggests that mortgage payments as a percentage of income on a 25-year repayment mortgage would have risen to 24% at the end of 2022, compared to 17.5% excuse me, in 2019. And to put that into context, I said it was a dry, a very dry market round. Put that into context, that is back to levels that are seen in 2010, but still remains way below levels seen in the run-up to the credit crunch of 2007-2008, and even further below that of the late 1980s and 1990s, early 1990s. So there's a good chart here on mortgage affordability. That gives you a clear picture of what's going on. Let's look at the mortgage regulation and that part that it plays in the housing cycle. Currently, unless a borrower locks into a fixed rate mortgage for five years or more, lenders are required to consider whether that borrower could afford their mortgage once their initial term ends and they revert to a standard variable rate. They then stress that affordability to see whether the borrower can still afford the mortgage debt in the event of a 3% interest rate rise. 
So you wonder what the banks are doing while they're taking so long to get your mortgage approved. This is what they're doing. Okay, over the last four years, borrowers, especially, have been borrowers have been able to lock into relatively inexpensive fixed rate mortgages for five years or more. In fact, in 2021, 49% of all new lending was on that basis, according to UK Finance. That has allowed these borrowers to avoid stringent stress testing of the higher standard variable rates. But for those who took on discounted variable rates or shorter term fixed rate mortgages, the assessment of affordability on a stress tested basis has underpinned their mortgage applications. That's very positive. In the recent low interest rate environment, this has not proved a significant barrier to the market. They've been borrow, you know, heaps of money. That's in the low interest rate situation. But they are being stress tested up to 3% more than perhaps 1.5% they're borrowing. So up to 4.5% they could take and so afford it. However, by the end of this year, mortgage interest payments based on the standard variable rate plus 3% are likely to reach 37% of borrowers' income. That figure is far more likely to act as a cap on the amount of people, amount of people can borrow going forward. And if the cost of a five-year money were to rise relative to short-term rates, it is likely that more people would be affected by the stress test. So there you have some, some simple figures that are giving you a, a clear picture of what's going on. What about the, the relaxation of the stress test? There's a lot of talk about this. Initially I thought it was a very bad idea because I want people to be regulated to not borrow too much. But it would appear, as you'll hear, that that's actually not the case. It's actually quite a good thing. The prospects for future house price growth will be partly determined by whether the Bank of England follows through in their proposals to remove this stress testing form of mortgage regulation. They've been consulting on it for I think, two years and now that consultation is finished and about to come out with their responses. I do believe they will reduce to a certain extent stress, stress testing. Not trying to say partly because the stress test sits alongside two other forms of mortgage regulation. Now this is super dry, so if you've got a cup of tea or coffee, take a big slurp now. Lenders can have no more than 15% of their loan book at or above loan-to-income ratios of 4.5%. They are also bound by responsive lending, responsible lending rules, which require affordability to be tested, having regard to market expectations of future interest rates over the five-year period, or current market rates plus 1%. So there's two different sorts of stress testing, testing there, stress testing. The Bank of England has concluded that the LTI caps have been more effective in preventing individual borrowers from taking on unsustainable levels of debt in a low interest rate environment. But in an era of higher interest rates, research from Mike Frank would expect the affordability stress test to become more of a constraint, as I've mentioned already. So what does that mean exactly? Basically, removing or relaxing the stress test will provide some upside to the Knight Frank and Savile's house price forecast. The extent of that additional capacity will depend on the precise terms of these reforms and how lenders might interpret that and apply it to underlying, underlying responsible rules and how far they're willing to push the LTI multiples under the present regulatory limits.
there's positive stuff to come out of that and I think obviously lenders want to lend but not irresponsibly so they will be working on that. Nine Frank expect Bank of England to take a relatively cautious approach. The two main planks of mortgage regulation mean that any reform is likely to result of opening of the floodgates of you know, credit floodgates for mortgages. So where does that leave us? Is the pop about to happen? goes back to the two points we made at the beginning, if you still remember that far back, because I've lost myself in numbers myself. Nine Frank affordability projections assume the Bank of England base rate ends 2026 at 1.75% based on Oxford economic forecast. That would indicate we're going to get this 5.1% growth after 1% fall next year. Such growth would keep loan to income ratios below their current regulatory limits. That would mean affordability is stretched on a stress-tested basis. Oxyeconomics also expects the rate of inflation to fall significantly in 2023, as the recent spike in energy and food costs fall out of the annual shopping basket, or the data basket, whatever they call it. In this central scenario, interest rates do not need to exceed 1.75% of inflation in line with the target. That's the scenario that we're seeing with inflation end of next year and what, what the Knight Frank scenario is based on. However, given recent, recent rhetoric that has come from the MPC, Monetary Policy Committee, it's also possible that interest rates could rise significantly more than has been assumed by Knight Frank in their forecast. If this occurs, capacity for house prime growth will be rapidly eroded and a risk of house price falls will increase substantially. These tables show how sensitive the model that I've produced is to different interest rate scenarios. It shows in the event of the current stress test is retained, a 1% increase in the bank rate at the end of a, their forecast period up to 2.75%, it shows it could severely limit the capacity for price growth from the end of this year Alternatively, it can mean the market becomes increasingly confined to more affluent households, which it will, for sure, because, and it will lead to a lower transaction in the marketplace, and it will also affect the poor old whipping dogs of the financial world, the first-time buyers, because they're the ones who are borrowing most and can least afford to pay more, to pay their mortgages down. Nine francs here, the result probably lies somewhere between the two scenarios, so interest rates perhaps up to 2%, but stress test relaxation uh, going on. These tables also illustrate that were the stress test to be removed, there would remain a reasonable affordability cushion that would provide much greater capacity for price growth over the longer term. Though the ability to unlock this will be constrained by other forms of mortgage regulation they bring in. So what is the answer? Is it going to go pop? Is it all over? It could be, you know. I'm not going to deny that. I think it could be, you know, if if the UK economy is more robust than the Bank of England thinks it is, and it does boom out of this present Ukrainian issue, then it, you know, they could increase interest rates to control inflation even more. I don't think that is the case, and I don't think a Conservative government that wants to be re-elected in a short while will let the Bank of England increase interest rates by so much. So frankly, I would expect it to be somewhere around their central scenario which is 
a fall perhaps next year in some areas. Okay, not all areas. So choose where you're buying it correctly. Do your research, caveat emptor, and thank you very much for listening. That's it for this week. Cheerio.